0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. We're continuing our series this week on next steps, how to navigate uncertain territory and know where to step next. And we really are refining the scope of that to understanding uncertain territory with God, our walk with God. How do we know when we're entering into one season, coming out of another? and what those seasons can begin to look like. And we saw last week that just the season that we've been in, that in many ways we're even tired of even talking about it, but it's caused a little bit of uncertainty, uh, uncertainty about when gatherings can happen. Is that going to last forever? What if we get a second wave? There's been uncertainty around people's jobs, their employment, where do they work? And we've had to find a few new normals in life. And so that's created elements of anxiety, confusion. It's uncharted territory, and we need to know where to go next. But in these sorts of moments, it always is. When the world is uncertain, it's a time when God is certain. It's a time when He's going to take advantage of these moments to catalyze growth. Because crises incite acceleration in the processes of life. It it incites a a rapidity, if you like, of transitions and movements. And that acceleration increases uh, our discomfort in some ways. But if we have even half a clue what God's up to and why, if we can understand His ways, in just a small way, then it can really help us to be at peace and to know I can take this next step with a degree of certainty. And so we looked at how God presents ancient pathways and it says in Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. We saw last week that this is a journey of becoming. It's a journey of being grown into a person. It's not a destination of performance and accumulation of assets or or tools that I go on in my personal life. That's not the way God is really thinking in that sense. He thinks in an eternal sense, not a temporal sense. And he's forming you into someone and the being overflows eventually into doing. And so he directs us without over-constraint and definition. And we saw also that he works in recurring seasons, and those seasons have their length, and then they will come back again at some point, and we can revisit the same sort of dynamic, albeit at a different place. Ecclesiastes 3:1 says, "There's a time for everything; that time being a restricted moment, a window of opportunity, and every season for uh, sorry, and a season for every activity under the heavens." So there's a, a window of opportunity, and that window will come round again. So the seasons don't last forever, but they do come back and we can revisit the, the things that we've learned there in a whole new way. And so we introduced five common sequential seasons that we go through in our own spiritual walk of being formed into who God's called us to be. So let's just bring a couple of new points of note there uh, about how these seasons work and why they work. What are these ways that God's up to? What does it begin to look like? And the first new point I want to really raise today is that we are growing up, we're growing up in who he's called us to be, not in. Uh, it's a journey of formation, not a journey of information. See, in our ignorance, if we don't understand the ways of God here, we'll often hear a new podcast, read a book, hear a term, listen to a message, and we'll go, that's a great truth. The revelation that we get from that or the new insight. And we'll, we'll without understanding what that needs to do uh, to form us, we'll take that information and say, I have now grown. And so we may feel... Uh, to pass on that thought bubble on social media and and say, look, here's this great new thing. Um, And we assume that the information is transformation, but it's not, it's just the the beginning of the process. That information will seed a formation process. And so if you look at the diagram on the screen that's coming up now, we can also see that we're not only going up, we're also broadening out. Uh, It's a growth in impact, it's a growth in influence. What we realize is that the journey that we're on is not just about us. The broadening, as we go up, we get broader in our influence because that influence is upon other people. Uh, And God so often uses the model of a body, particularly in the New Testament where every person plays its part. But as one person grows, as one person experiences a blessing, that blessing is shared by the whole body. And as God grows you, what he's doing is growing the whole body. He doesn't grow you just so you can climb a ladder in life and become more impressive. He's growing you for impact. He's growing you to influence other people. It's all about getting higher. And in that height, we go broader and more and more people can come on the journey with us. And so we begin to see that in our life, our faithfulness, our choices to be faithful, they're our personal responsibility. That's the only individual aspect of this whole deal. But fruitfulness is shared with other people. So the choices are mine to take but the the repercussions of those choices are to be enjoyed by other people and that's what fruitfulness really begins to look like and so if i have knowledge that i've gained about god or about my life in some way if it hasn't grown to change me and change others then i've been informed but i haven't been reformed and and that's the ultimate goal here he's forming us and then reforming us into who he wants us to be see the true sign of our growth is our ability to multiply. Our true sign of getting bigger is that other people get bigger as well. And so these become the metrics of the kingdom. The metrics aren't me just getting higher on my own. It's, it's I can ask myself, have I grown in influence in my life or have I just grown in income? Have I, just, have I taken scales on my career or have I actually grown in my ability to grow other people? Uh, have I grown in knowledge or have I grown uh, the people that are around me? Have I become impressive alone? Are people impressed by what I've become? Or have I become impacting? Because I can be very impacting without necessarily being impressive in the world's eyes. These are kingdom metrics. Have a look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. When people measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you. So let that just sink in for a moment, that mindset of Paul. He's saying, if I'm happy about what's come out of my life, if I'm happy with the fruit of my life, I'm happy because it's impacted you. And when you become someone, and you may have seen this, that you've seen that your life has impacted others and they've been blessed because of you, there is no joy that can replace that. It's, it's, I think it's the greatest joy on earth, is to see someone's life better off because you've deposited something in there. And so we don't judge ourselves and our success by being richer or smarter or higher or more impressive than someone else. We judge our success by how many lives are transformed or impacted, or not even so much how many, but measure the impact, because that impact can be in one person. Not all of us get a chance to bring hundreds on the journey with us, but we can all choose to impact one. We can all choose to go deeper with one person. And that's just as valid as impacting a hundred. It's, it's about what is that impact? Because you can have a deep impact in one life who can go on to impact so many others. And so we've got to be careful. And I know our mindset is to default into easy terms of measuring how our life goes, because we compare ourselves with ourselves and the people around us. But we need to compare ourselves with God's standard. And God cares for the one, God saves the one, God impacts the one. And if we're blessed enough that we can impact more than one, then then so be it, and that's a great blessing too. But we should find our joy in seeing our life invested in the one. So how do we know what season God has us in? If we don't have clarity, if we don't have revelation or vision, as we saw last week, we tend to disperse, we dissipate, we perish, we cast off restraint and just the flesh comes out. And so if I don't have clarity, um, when I see a closed door has come upon me or a lack of guidance or I've lost a job, I can look at that through the wrong eyes and misinterpret what God's doing and not realize that he may well be offering me an upgrade into something completely better and completely different that requires me to go through this season to regather myself, to relearn, to refresh and take stock of life. And so we need to be able to understand what his ways may be. So the first step in understanding these seasons is an awareness of God's ways. And this is a lifelong practice to learn the different ways of God. He invites us into this place. What are, you know, what are the sorts of things that God does? And just like he invited Moses in to, to know his ways while the others got to observe his works, he invites us on that journey to ask that question, God, what are you doing? Uh, can you tell me where this is all going? And if we can understand those ways, it puts our peace in our heart. It's part of that ancient pathways. We can know that he turns disappointment into hope. That's, that's one of God's ways. It's what he's good at. He takes ashes and, and turns them into light. He takes mourning and turns it into dancing. These are his ways. And so when we're experiencing the darker sides of life, we can say this is obviously a precursor into what he's going to be doing. And we can take great stock in that. We know that he deals with our past. We know that he grows our character. We know they're his ways. Um, we know that he'll give us an offer of a life of humility so he can lift us up further than we could ever go. He turns cursings into blessings. He redeems our past. These are the, his ways. He's always on the front foot. And so even the most negative things that come upon us, we know, well, God's ways are he can, he can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine, that he's for me, that he's looking to bless me so I can bless the world. And we can uh, take great comfort in that logic. And so we can just ask, God, what might you be doing? And we can look at that through the lens of optimism and, uh, and progress and hope because he's on an, an eternal journey with us. And this is confronting not just you. It's not confronting just me. This is confronting the church globally to understand, God, what are you doing right now? The world is in a place it's never been before. In many ways, it's chaotic. The news uh, fills people full of anxiety. The, the numbers and the stats of, of death and, and harm and, and um, upheaval uh, among nations is, only seems to be getting higher. And so even as a church globally with a capital C, we're confronting these issues. God, what are you doing? And um, when it comes to us gathering together again as God's people, for example, there's uncertainty wrapped around that. It's uncharted waters. And with our gatherings, as you know, the announcement's been put out there that August 9, we plan to recommence gatherings. And, uh, and we'll always have a regular gathering so long as it's possible for us to do that. As long as it's possible for us to have an environment that, that fulfills kingdom agendas. And there are different agendas that we fulfill on Sunday gatherings that can be done way better when we're in person than they can online. Things like um, the way we deliver our our content, our teaching, even though that's going to begin to morph now because content is more expected to be given online, on demand, all those sorts of things. So we're going to have to transition. We're going to have to understand uh, these times and these ways and take advantage of that and not just try and restore what was valid for 40 years ago. But Sundays give us social connection. We can do that in a way that we just can't do online. It brings inspiring worship where we can gather together, we can hear each other sing, we can be lifted by the voices and the hearts and the faith of other people. There's the synergy of faith that comes when people are in the room where God's presence just becomes drawn to the accumulation of God's people like, like heat to a fire, if you can say it that way. It's like no, when the coals are all together and burning, um, it's an irresistible uh, environment for God to begin to do. Uh, unique things. There's a, it's a place where we can lay hands on each other when uh, COVID permits and pray and, and lift each other up to counsel, to apply God's word. And so Sunday gatherings are going to be great from that. And yet we know online now is here to stay. It's not going away. So we need to maximize that space as well. And we'll continue our online Sunday material and content after we uh, start to gather together in person. We're going to continue doing that because A, we never know when we're going to be forced to go back there until there's a vaccine found and so on. But also because that online space, that home space, that house church creates a unique environment for being missional. There's, we aren't a missional people as a nation. We don't normally outreach as as we've seen. We're a cold relational climate. And yet in our homes is a great mechanism to stretch ourselves and invite people in. So we want to create a space using our online content that people can invite their friends and be intentionally missional about what we're doing. And so that's the way we're going to start forming things up that way. So we'll grow in our use of video and online and all those sorts of things. And it's exciting, it's untested, but we just pray that you'd pray for our teams as we grow capacity in that area. Because if we don't commit ourselves to online content, we're going to find ourselves more and more truncated in our ability to reach our community because that's where our community will start in their journey with God. And so we need to invest into that space. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19 says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In many ways, the online world sort of is our wilderness, isn't it? It's that place where it's far from sort of God's temple and his holy place where God's people gather. It's the wilderness, it's like uncharted territory. And he's saying he's making a way into that wilderness, do you not perceive it? And so we need to perceive God's ways. And we do that through praying and through watching and observing the times, having a heartbeat for what God's heartbeat is. So that's the first way. The second way to tell what season God may be leading you into or out of and so on is just healthy self-awareness. Can I sense personally, what's God saying to me? Have I got the spiritual ears to hear what he's saying? Can I respond to the yearnings, the godly yearnings that are within me to say I need to grow closer to God or I need to know more about him or am I inspired to go? All these sorts of things. What's my yearning based on the level and the capacity and the breadth of where he's brought me to this point? So let's use the first season that we laid out last week on the growth track it's a spiral it's a but we've got to start somewhere in the way we talk about that so let's look at this season which is really a convergence of sort of knowing god and also being refreshed in god and and coming from that and knowing him in a new way it's sort of a fork in the road if you look at the diagram there on screen into a movement that will become eventually finding new freedom the knowledge of god that dynamic, dynamic relational knowledge leads us into a space where we get more freedom our old nature. And so there's a knowing God track where uh, it's a time, particularly for those who are coming into the faith, it's a time of new things. It's a time of new faith. It's a time of salvation, obviously. But for those of us who've been around the block a few times, it becomes a time of recreation, of refreshing of our soul, of consolidation, of pruning some things off, and ultimately the same end where we know God in a new way. And it's often initiated by a yearning to know and just be closer. We use the term know, but what we're saying is, I want to be closer to God. I need to find new things about Him that I can relate to and engage with and and love in new and different ways. Because we may find that our old relationship with God, the one that got us through the last season, now can't seem to keep up with the season that we're in now. Uh, our relational dynamic may have changed, our work dynamic, our our spiritual dynamic, our church dynamic, it may have all changed and we find suddenly I'm not as close to God, I'm not as fruitful from God as I was in the previous season. So we realise, hang on, I need to take a new step here. I need to go into a new season that brings new growth. And that will always result, if it's done well, in increased communion with God. So the knowing leads to communion. And you can pick this up in the life of Paul. He'd been a Christian for... 30-odd years when he wrote this in Philippians 3, 8-10. Uh, he says this, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, to become like Him in His death. And spot the yearning there. Can you feel the heart of this guy? He's been walking with Christ for 30 odd years. At the beginning of his walk, he's saved and he's full of the Holy Spirit. He goes back and, and you can read this in the book of Galatians, one of his early writings. He says, oh, you know, I met with the apostles, those considered to be pillars of the church. They added nothing to my message. You know, he, he really took all that he'd learned in his pre-Christian days and said, I'm, I'm a guy. I'm, I'm the dude, you know, I've got all this stuff behind me. I've got something to offer here. But as he progresses in his walk, he realizes, I'm going to put all that aside because all that stuff that I reckon gives me credit in life, that's actually working against me. I just want to know more of Christ. I want to know his sufferings if I have to go there, but I want to be closer to him. And so he's just saying there is no price too high for that. And that's the sense of this recreation, refreshing season. It's really a sense of, I don't care what else happens in life. I'm willing to let it all go if it means I can be closer with God. I wonder if you know that yearning. I wonder if it's a yearning that you're in now. I wonder if it's a season where you just think, man, I just wish I could just droop my shoulders just a little bit and just relax, just to lean back into him. I wanna know him more. I need to know his love. I need to know his salvation all over again in the sense of there's parts of me that haven't been redeemed fully yet. I'm still working from that old nature. I need to know him. I need to get to know more about him, engage more with him. Think that through now in this time of reflection to this wonderful song that Sandy's gonna bring us where he just prays, God, revive my soul.
1: awaken my soul Spirit right of the Spirit comes. Come wake me from my sleep. Blow through the caverns of my soul, pouring me to overflow.
0: You know, it's great when we have a healthy yearning just to be close to God. But you know, the reality is, and all of us experience it, we're not always there. We don't always have those healthy yearnings Uh, for whatever reason. Sometimes we're not processing our journey well. Sometimes we don't know what season we're in. And sometimes we're just a little bit broken, a little bit mucked up. And so we don't actually know. Uh, we We can't relate to those feelings. And I know there'll be many of us watching this message today who are just used to being a bit stoic They're used to just pushing through. And the idea of having uh, an inner yearning for God, you think, well, that's just not me. I'll I'll go with you for a moment on that because I think it can be and probably should be all of us at some moment in our life. But sometimes it's just not there all the time. And that's because these yearnings are the result of the process God takes us through. But if we halt that process, then the yearnings don't come. So they're they're an end point of the process uh, before they are a beginning of the process. And they're the fruit of one season and often the seeds of the next. So we don't need to be too alarmed. We need to let the season uh, take its own journey. But when we look at this refresh season, this season where he's restoring our soul, the irony of that uh, is that we can be in this season without even knowing it. We haven't even perceived that God's taken us to that place. We're still trying to operate like we did before, where we're multiplying and and working and being faithful and just seeing all these things happen. And we, we think we're still in that season, but we can't understand why the fruit has stopped. But God's moved us on. He said, well, you were fruitful. I need you to be more fruitful to do that. We need a John 15 pruning season to take a few things off there for you. The other irony of this refreshing season is that we don't always go there voluntarily. It can actually work against a lot of us who are just task-oriented more than sort of people-oriented. We just want to get the job done. We've, We've had an upgrade and we've seen great things happen and we think the elevator's just got to keep rising. I've just got to keep going into upgrade after upgrade. But God's ways don't work like that. We we have an upgrade of fruitfulness. But then he says, more fruitfulness comes from a bit of disassembly first. And so sometimes God does by design what we should be doing by default. He'll instigate a process that really should have been ours to cooperate with a bit better in the first place. He says, I'm going to give you a bit of pruning here. I'm I'm going to give you a bit of rest and you need it. And I'm going to make sure that you do. And so sometimes we're brought into that season kicking and screaming. But God will say, you know, that upgrade that you got before, it doesn't always mean that upgrade is going to continue as a constant ramp like that. There's going to be steps and stages and seasons in there. And so he says, you know, I need to take you back because you need to return to your first love. And when we get in this motoring season of just doing and doing and doing, the doing can replace that heart, that original first love for God. And so he says, like he does to the church at Ephesians and in Revelation, you know, I see the doing, I see all the stuff. But in doing that, somehow it's replaced this first love, and that's what I want first, is that heart. And so we'll find ourselves one day where he's brought us into that season and go, well, looks like I've just been pruned, and uh, I've certainly had seasons like that. So let me help you for a moment with this. What are some signs? If you're not feeling it, what are some visible or tangible signs that it's time for you to go into that refreshing season, to be recreated, to take a break from the doing, and be intentional about the being so God can reform your soul. And what I want to do is just contrast this against the life uh, of Jesus and the Pharisees, because you won't see any clearer example of what it looks like to um, uh, see a godly way, the godly walk versus uh, a God-inspired walk that's being conducted in human strength. And so what I want to talk about here are signs of a dehydrated soul. So a soul that's just lacking those living waters, just lacking that hydration of God where where we're just swimming in his river. It's a soul that feels much more like dust than it does dust and breath, if I can use those sort of words. And so uh, I'll use just three quick tests today and uh, and we'll just see how you go with those. Sorry, mistake, four tests, not three. Uh, I'm sure you'll forgive me there. So here's the first one. The sign will be that we'll have knowledge of God or knowledge about God Without the power. And you remember this in the lives of the Pharisees. They had plenty of knowledge. They knew the Torah. They knew it frontwards and backwards. They could literally read it backwards. And so they had the knowledge, but they didn't have the power. And sometimes what we are doing for God um, outstrips our experience and love for God. Paul talks about it in this way in 2 Timothy 3 5. He says, It's a form of godliness. So it looks godly, but it denies its power. So maybe we can't remember the last time we sensed God's anointing or sensed his leading or his gifting. And we haven't seen God work through us in that really fruitful way for a while. But in the end, our lifestyle is so consumed and just so used to doing it the way we do it, we assume that's all there is to it. And so we just keep motoring in our own strength with all the knowledge. We know how to play the game. We know how to do church. We know how to look Christian, but there's no power there. I wonder if that's you. And we can ask ourselves some questions about this, such as, am I aware that everything I'm doing is actually all me? I'm actually living what I'm calling a Christian life in my own strength. Am I pushing too hard? Am I I just striving, but there's no striding? So this is a way to tell whether you're ready for a refreshing season. You have the knowledge about the whole game, but no power. Number two, sorrow without hope. So remorse, guilt, condemnation without any optimism that it's actually possible to get any better. The Pharisees were classics for public flagellation and repentance and, and making a real show of, of moaning and groaning about sin. But they actually gave no ability, no hope for change. They just said, you've just got to keep trying harder, but whatever you do, it's not really going to make any difference anyway. God's angry with you and there's nothing much you can do about that. Paul talks about this uh, because it became a common uh, cycle in the life of believers as well. It's just like, God's good, I'm always bad, uh, I've just got to keep trying harder. But there was constant sorrow about that without any life. And he says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So we can have that cycle in our life that we're probably so familiar with of sin, sorry, repeat or we can do what Paul's saying and say well, there's godly sorrow that leads us into life and it's okay to go through the process of repentance but that repentance leads us into life by believing with God's power so I can ask myself the questions there am I feeling progressively worse uh, simply sinning and repeating or am I coming to life am I allowing that which I get wrong to lead me into a life where it finally comes right through God's grace third one is having position without people, or can I say love for people? If I prefer the title more than I do the people who I'm supposed to be serving. This is a very sobering scripture in 1 Peter 5 verse 2, where Peter says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. It's a real sobering reminder because we'll all get disillusioned at some point with doing church life, doing Christian life, because there's so much of it that drains out rather than things that fill us in. And it can get you into a place of being a little bit cynical. It can get you a bit critical and it can turn a little bit dark on us. And he's saying, don't go down that trap, He's saying don't serve God's people because you have to or because it gives you recognition or a position or a title and so on. Do it because you love people and most clearly signed by, do you love one person? Can you stop in the crowd? Can you put your tasks aside and spend time with just one one person? We do it because of love. We do it because we're compelled by love. But do I have the position? Am I more enamored with the position than I am with the people that I'm serving? And so that's the sort of question we need to ask. Am I eager to serve God's people privately without anyone knowing, without any position? Uh, Or am I hiding from service? It's a great indicator in church life. Am I just turning up um, or am I, is my heart to be a part of what God's doing? Here? What can I contribute? How can I sacrifice? How can I play my part so the body fulfills its task? That's number three. Number four, faithfulness without fruitfulness. Am I being faithful, but I don't know what it is to be fruitful? So let me clarify this. It's never wrong to be faithful. And it can sound like we are sometimes when we start beating this line over and over. It's never wrong to be faithful. It's just simply inadequate. It's simply not enough to fulfill God's plan for our life because ultimately it's just going to wear us out in our own strength. And faithfulness, if you read the scripture in its proper context, was originally a fruit of the Spirit. And we've turned it into something else. We've turned it into something more like I'm doing all I can in my own strength. That's what faithfulness looked like. But when Paul described it, it was a fruit of the abundance of what God uh, is doing within us. It just, we can't help it. It comes naturally. And so I need to ask myself a question about this. Am I uh, working for God, but he's no longer working through me? Sobering stuff, probably not the sort of question you want to ask and answer publicly, but a good one to reflect on. Am I working for God, but he's no longer working uh, through me? And we can allow ourselves to to test these things in our life. Because if I'm not fruitful, if it's not in abundance, if it's just hard work, it's um, impressive and people will nod their head and say thanks, but it's not the way God intended for his kingdom to be written because it's going to rely on your strength, not on his. So I wonder about you there in your home today. I wonder how you're going with all this. How's this working through in your own heart? Um, Do you need more than just a week off? you know, to do nothing, do you need to have your soul renovated? Do you need to be refreshed in your heart? Do you need to know him in a new way? Given the sort of questions I've just asked then, I'm assuming uh, a few more of us at the end are feeling yes than were at the beginning. So if you are in or you need a time of refreshing, then that requires a degree of intention. You need to be intentional about doing what fills your spiritual tank, not just disengaging and doing nothing. So a refreshing season is not a time where you just disengage from life. Um, it's a time where you engage with life. It's a time where you engage with God. It's, it's a time where uh, you want to add and do that which fuels and fills your soul. So, And don't disengage from people either. That's what our flesh would want to do. Uh, but rather engage with them in a new way. Because people aren't projects. People aren't the problem. And we can lose our heart for them if we don't know their story, to know their heart and to appreciate the value of one person, broken or not, with a high position or not, but to stop for the one. And we need to recognize the season that we're in and invite God into it because in these recreating seasons, these refreshing seasons, it's not just about what you can do. It's a moment where God himself reconstructs, refills your soul, re-equips you and refills you with love. And so I want to finish on Paul's words where he promises uh, through his prayer, it's like a promise to say, this is a prayer that will take you to this next level. And it involves a revelation and awareness of God. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of God's people So that's my prayer for you, that God would reveal himself to your soul and reveal himself in a way that fills your soul so the next season in your life will be an overflow of this relationship with God. Bless you all. Enjoy the uh, content coming up in the House Church segment that you can download online and uh, we will dig deeper into these different signs and where you might be on your walk. Bless you now. Looking forward to next week.